Welcome to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast, and thank you for joining us for another week in our sermon series, How To. This week, we'll be talking about how to know that the Bible is true. This week's message is taught by Senior Minister Jeff Gaines. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming out and joining us for worship today. If you're a guest with us today, one of my prayers uh, every Sunday is that uh, you, you find this to be a place where everyone is welcome. And one of the reasons everyone is welcome here is because nobody's perfect. Now, let me just make sure, because I don't want to offend anybody. Did any perfect people sneak in here? Is there any? There's one. Okay, we'll kick her out. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Everybody's welcome here. I'm so glad that you decided to join us. We're in the middle of a sermon series entitled How To, and in this sermon series, I'm answering questions I get asked all the time, and today, I think today's question is really important for the culture that we're living in. We're going to try and answer this question. How do I know the Bible is true? How do I know the Bible is true? And this is such an important question because now more than ever before, uh, the authority of the Bible is in question by many people. And really, I think as Christians, we got to do a better job of defending our faith because we're losing a whole generation of people. They're asking really tough questions, and many of us aren't able to give an answer. Uh, and that's a problem. First Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says this, Don't be afraid of those who want to harm you. we we got to stop being so fearful of what everybody's going to say when we take a stand for our faith. Sometimes you've got to just take a stand. Don't be afraid of those who want to harm you. Don't get upset when they reject you, when they say mean things about you. Don't take it personally, but dedicate your lives to Christ as Lord. Keep him at the focus. We're, we're lifting up his name. We're lifting up his truth. Always be ready to defend your confidence in God when anyone asks you to explain it. Always be ready to defend your faith. Know what it is you believe. Know why you believe it and be able to give an answer for these things. However, make your defense with gentleness and respect. We speak the truth in love. I think this is the goal. So today, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I want to present to you some evidence that has really encouraged me to believe the Bible to be true and trustworthy. And I want you to know I'm just scratching the surface. There's a whole lot of hard evidence out there my prayer for all of you that are Christians and you already believe the authority of Scripture, my prayer is that this sparks an interest in you and you'll leave from here and you'll study this topic further so that when your friends, when your family, when your neighbors, when your coworkers come up to you and say, well, what about this? You'll be able to give them an answer. That's my prayer. I know, though, there are at least a handful of people in this room that, that you come here kind of skeptical. Of, of the Bible and the things in the Bible. And, and you might be here just because somebody dragged you here or this is a tradition that you come here on Sunday, but you're really not sure. And I want you to understand something. I get it. I get it. Because the Bible makes some, some very incredible claims. Um, so your, your questions, your skepticism, it doesn't point to you being a bad person. And, and maybe that's what others have led you to believe. It, that's not the case at all. Instead, it points to the fact that you're intelligent. Because intelligent people ask hard questions and they want hard evidence. So if you come here and you're skeptical today, understand we receive you with your doubts and all. This is a safe place for you to have questions and have hard questions. We welcome those questions. I think Jesus can handle your questions. Um, but I would ask that today 
that you, you uh, receive this evidence with open eyes. Have an open heart when it comes to this evidence. And, and maybe just kind of review it. Let, let's go back and reevaluate. What do I really believe? So as we step into this conversation, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, we dedicate this time to you, Lord. I pray that you'll, you'll do what only you can do. Uh, there, those of us, Lord, we're just not living in your truth. And maybe we say that we believe it, but we're just not walking in it. And, and today I pray that we're just reminded to be confident in that truth. Re, be reminded to be confident in what it is that you've told us to do. And those of us, Lord, that are just kind of skeptical of who you are and what your word says altogether, uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you will begin to make some seeds grow today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so how do I know the Bible is true? Here, here's one way. I know the Bible is true because the Bible tells me so. Because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A lot of you in this room, that's all you need, right? Mama told me, Daddy told me, Granny told me, the Bible's true, so the Bible's true, that's all I need. And maybe you read a scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says this, all scripture, Genesis through Revelation, every word of Scripture is God-breathed. That means inspired by God. Men wrote it down, but God inspired every word. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And for some of you, that's all you need. You stop right there and you say, okay, every word is God's word, cover to cover, and, and it's useful for my life. And so for some of you, that's all the evidence that you need. But there's others in this room, and, and I've heard this often, I believe the words of Jesus. If it's written in red, I'm going to hold on to that uh, because Jesus' words in many Bibles is written in red. If it's Jesus' words, I'm, I'm really confident, but a lot of the other stuff I'm unsure about. So if that's you this morning, be reminded of, of the way Jesus viewed all the Scriptures. In John chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus said this, the Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, cannot be broken. Jesus says you can't, you can't read the Bible and then rip out pages you don't like. Doesn't work that way. You can't sharpie through that verse that rubs you the wrong way. You, you can't take that, that story in the Old Testament and just say, ah, I'm going to throw that one out because I'm, I'm totally unsure about that. Jesus said, no, it's all valuable. It's all true. It's all trustworthy. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said it this way. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus said every letter, not just every word, every letter, even the dot of the I is eternally important. Every letter of Scripture is important. And so you read that verse, and maybe that's why the earliest biblical scribes were so meticulous in copying the Bible. The printing press wasn't created until 1440. All you guys are super smart, so you already knew that. So the earliest manuscripts of the Bible were handwritten. Let me tell you how meticulous these guys that copied the Bible by hand, how, how meticulous they were. They would, they would write one of the books in the Bible, one of the letters in the Bible. And they knew what the middle letter of that book was. They'd go to the word and the letter in that book. They would count forward and they would count backwards. And they knew how many letters were supposed to be in that book. If it was off, forward or backward, by one letter, by one number, they'd throw it away and start over. So careful in copying God's word. How that translates for us today, we have 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the Bible, handwritten copies of the Bible, or, or parts of the Bible, 24,000 ancient manuscripts. When you compare those manuscripts to one another, 
Do you know their accuracy in relation to one another is 99.6% accurate? So this is what we're talking about. All of these manuscripts, they, they add to the credibility of the Bible that we have today. So when people come to you and they're like, you know, I, I don't really know if I trust the Bible because it's been translated so many times throughout the ages. Because you've heard this before, haven't you? It's been translated so many times that it's lost its original meaning. You've heard that before. But the problem with that, when, when somebody comes to you and they say that, you just say, no, fact check, fact check. Or if you're like Donald, you say, wrong, wrong, wrong. Because we have ancient manuscripts of the Bible that date back all the way to 70 A.D. We have parts of the Bible that date all the way back to 70 A.D. And then we have Old Testament parts of the Bible that date even farther back than that. The, the Bible that we have today is so accurate to the original manuscripts. You can trust it. You can trust it. Here's another way the Bible proves itself to be true. Prophecy. Prophecy. you you got to explain some of these things because there's hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that have been fulfilled. And it's crazy when you really start looking at it. I'll just give one to you that I think all of you guys can, can relate to. Uh, in Psalm 22, King David wrote these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if you have any sort of like church background, you, you've heard these words before, right? But it came from Jesus, and he was hanging on the cross when he said them. So let's keep reading in Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8. All who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads he trusts in the lord they said let the lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him now you remember when jesus was hanging on the cross what they say to jesus you saved others save yourself you remember they were mocking him with with these very words and then later on david says this in psalm 22 dogs surround me and a pack of villains encircle me they pierce my hands and my feet. What's David talking about here? Pierced hands and feet. That's the crucifixion, isn't it? Right. Okay, so this is, hopefully this blows your mind. It blew my mind. This was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. A thousand years before Jesus was born. And let me, let me put a cherry on top of that fact. It was written 500 years before a crucifixion was even invented and he's describing a crucifixion 500 years before the first crucifixion prophecy proves the bible to be true and i've got a ton of them that we could go down this road um so you got to kind of explain that what are the odds of jesus fulfilling these things that were foretold about him hundreds sometimes thousands of years before he even lived what are the odds of that there are 54 distinct prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. 54 distinct, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, but 54 that are distinct. Um, and eight of those have been corroborated by evidence outside the Bible. So that means that there's evidence outside the Bible that back up these prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. What are the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 54 distinct prophecies? There was a guy... Uh, a mathematician and a scientist that did the research. Uh, his name was Dr. Stoner, and he was the uh, he, he worked at Westmont College. He wrote this book that call, it's called Science Speaks, and, and in it, it was it was reviewed by the American Scientific Affiliation, and, and they approved all the science and all the math behind his research. And in it, this is what he said. He said the chances, the probability of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies 
that are mentioned of him in the Old Testament, just eight, is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 18 zeros behind it. That, that's a number that we don't even have a word for. It's too big, okay? So that's a huge number. And it's hard to kind of get our head around what that probability looks like. So they gave us an illustration in the book. You can check it out if you want. But it, the illustration was this. That number, one with 18 zeros behind it, if you turn that number into silver dollars, so that many silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas if you just laid it, you know, where they're touching one another. It would cover the whole state of Texas, and Texas is pretty big. Al, Texas is big. And, and it would be two feet, it'd be two feet tall. Two feet, cover the state of Texas, silver dollars. And so you take one of those silver dollars and you mark it. You put your name on it or whatever. And then you throw it back in with all the other silver dollars and you shake it up really good. And then you have one lucky person to go in and try and pick out the silver dollar. The odds of the person pulling out the silver dollar on the first try, that's the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. He fulfilled 54 of them. Now, walk with me on this. You, you look at probability like that. You look at statistics like that. And to me, to me, it takes more faith to believe the Bible is false than to believe that it's true. Jesus is who he claimed to be, and, and, and the Bible kind of backs itself up there. I've got more evidence here on this topic, but I want to get to the next point because I think the next point is pretty good, too. Is this helping anybody? I hope so. Man, this is so helpful for me. Um, I believe the Bible is true, not just because the Bible says so, but, but history tells me so. I believe the Bible is true because history tells me so. The Bible is historically accurate. It's not just theologically correct. It's not just uh, ethically correct. It's not just morally correct. It's not just doctrinally cor correct. It's historically correct. It's true history. It's real people who lived in a real place during a real time, and they did and said real things. How do we know that the Bible is historically accurate? Well, most of the Bible is written by uh, eyewitnesses. It's written by eyewitnesses. Moses was there when the Israelites fled from Egypt. He was there. He walked with them, and he went, and he wrote it down in the first five books of the Bible. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. He saw it with his own eyes. He walked and climbed over the rubble to get into the city. He was there. The disciples saw Jesus with their own two eyes. They saw the risen Savior. They touched him. They had meals with him. And they don't write about what they believed. They write about what they saw. You got Matthew and John. They saw Jesus firsthand. They, they ate with him. They walked with him after he had risen from the dead. And then they wrote about it. And that's where we get two of our Gospels. And then there's this guy named Luke. Luke was Paul's understudy. And Luke went and he, um, he uh, interviewed all of the eyewitnesses of this. And then he wrote a biography of Jesus. It's in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And this is how the biography begins. Luke says this, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Not about what they believed, about the what? The events. Things that actually happened. Things that people saw and they touched and they smelled and they felt they used the eyewitness reports, not hearsay, not so-and-so said so-and-so did so-and-so. No, not, not that. What we saw with our own two eyes, what we felt with our own two hands. They used the eyewitness reports uh, that from the earliest disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I went all the way back to the beginning of the story, and I talked to every eyewitness I could talk to. And, and, and I've decided to write all this stuff down so 
you can be certain. You can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. You can be sure that this is trustworthy and true because I've talked to all of the eyewitnesses. So, some of you, you hear this and you're like, okay, well, that's good. But how do we know that we can trust these witnesses? How do we know they're trustworthy? That's a great question. There's two things I think that really make these people reliable sources when it comes to this information. Number one, they had a consistent message. They had a consistent message. Um, The Bible is written, uh, there's 66 books or letters in the Bible. It's written by 40 authors, 40 authors over a 1,600-year period. Uh, It was written on three continents, and it was written in three different languages. And yet, even though these guys, they, they're living in different times, they all come from different backgrounds, some of them were kings, some of them were shepherds, some of them were tax collectors, some of them were fishermen, and, and, but yet, they all have a consistent message about who God is and about what Jesus did. They're all telling the same story. Now, that's kind of crazy, especially when you think about this dress. You guys remember this dress from, you remember that, Dagon dress? We, in this room, we can't even agree on the color of this dress. Some of you are like, well, that's black and blue. Some of you are like, no, that's white and gold. And we could fight all day about it. We can't even come to an agreement on this dress. But these authors, 40 authors, over a 1,600-year period, speaking three different languages, coming from different backgrounds, they're speaking a consistent message about who God is, about what Jesus accomplished. Their consistency adds to their credibility, don't you think? And then let, let, me, let me add to that. They weren't just consistent in their message. They were persistent in their message. They were persistent in their message. Um, Tommy, go back one. I'm not there yet. I don't want to spoil the the surprise. Okay, they were persistent in their message. So you remember when you were a little kid and somebody in your household broke something? Like brother or sister, they broke a, a window out or they broke a picture frame or they broke something. They weren't supposed to break. And so mom said, you just wait till your dad got, gets home right? And so then dad gets home. He says, okay, who did it? And you know who did it because you were in the room when they did it, but it wasn't you. Uh, But you're not a tattletale. You're not a snitch. So you say, dad, I don't know. And so the afternoon kind of wears on and dad's patient wears thin. And he says, okay, everybody in the kitchen, line up on the wall. Did this have to anybody else? Just me. Okay. So dad lines you up on the wall and this is what he says. If somebody doesn't tell me who did it, you're all going to get a switch, right? Yeah, that's what happens. The more kids that are lined up on that wall, let's say there's five kids in that family, somebody's going to fess up, aren't they? Right? That's the way it works. Because a person isn't willing to take a punishment for something they know to be false. You know, they're not willing to do that. Okay, all that to say this, the disciples, every one of the eyewitnesses from the Bible, Every one of them, they were put in a situation where they're going around and they're telling people what they saw Jesus do. They're not saying, well, this is what I believe about Jesus. They're all saying, this is what I saw Jesus do. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. So they're going around to these towns. And in the midst of going around to these towns, they run into people that stand opposed to their message. And so they got arrested by some official, a government official or religious official. It varied in different places. And so they're, they're imprisoned, they're starved, they're beaten, and then they come to this makeshift trial where this official, this leader, stands over them and says, you either tell us the truth about Jesus because we know you're lying about him. People don't come back from the dead. 
We know that. And so we know you're lying about Jesus. So you either tell us the truth about Jesus or we're going to kill you in the most painful way possible. I want you to hear me here. Dozens and dozens of eyewitnesses, same encounter. Not one of them said, ho, 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 whoa, whoa. I don't want to be boiled alive because that's how some of them died. They were boiled alive. I don't want to be skinned alive because that's how some of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, that's how they were killed. Don't skin me alive. None of them said, don't shoot arrows through me because that's how some of them died. Don't cut my head off because that's how some of them died. Don't hang me on a cross because that's how some of them died. Don't, don't, um, don't behead me because that's how... None of them stopped the execution saying it was all made up. Peter told us to do it. You can find Jesus' body in this field, in this cave. That would, have ruined, that, would have, that would have finished the whole movement, right? Not one of them. Not one of them cracked. People don't die for something they know to be false. They don't. They were consistent in their message. They were persistent in their message. You, you can count on these eyewitness testimonies. The Bible is true. And let me add a cherry on top of this information. All of these eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts are backed up by archaeology. You got these scientists that go to these ancient places and they use the Bible to find cities that all other historians say, well, that hit city didn't even exist. That group of people didn't even exist. And so they'll go to the Bible and they'll say, well, the Israelites traveled to this mountain and then they went south. And they'll use the Bible like a treasure map, like National Treasure or Indiana Jones. And they'll find these places that they didn't even know existed previously. The Bible is so historically accurate that they can do that. And, and so um, then they, 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 everything that they find, uh, like from Bible times, it backs up all of the accounts of these eyewitnesses. And this Jewish scholar, you can bring it up now, Scotty. <clears throat> I mean, Tommy. Sorry, don't mean to disrespect you like that. To date, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted, has never contradicted, it's never disproven a single, not one, properly understood biblical statement. I think that says something. They have dug up millions of ancient artifacts and tablets and scrolls and parts of scrolls and not one of them disproves contradicts what the bible says the bible is trustworthy and it's true you can count on it you can believe in it i know the bible is true because history tells me so you see the bible has survived all attacks i want you to think about this for a second for two thousand years some of the most intelligent and well-funded and persistent people on the planet have made it their life mission to disprove the Bible. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to disprove and discredit the Bible. It's the most despised, the most denied, the most disputed, the most dissected, the most debated, the most destroyed book in history. It's been outlawed and banned more than any other book can bind. Today, there are places in the world you can go with the Bible. If they find you with the Bible, they will kill you. You go to North Korea with the Bible and see what happens. And what, what's going on? People are still bringing Bibles to North Korea. Why? Because it's trustworthy. It's true. It's that good. It, it's survived every attack. And, and then this has been happening for the last probably four or 500 years. 
there's, there's these scientific discoveries that happen, right? And, and so this, this expert will, will go on some television show or he'll write some book or something, and, and he'll basically say, this new discovery proves that the Bible isn't true or it proves that, that God doesn't exist. And so they'll put this, this discovery or this theory in a textbook, and, and then students will read about it in middle school or high school, and then three, four, five, six years passes, and what happens to that textbook with this new scientific discovery in it? What happens? Are we, are we still using textbooks that are like 10 years old, science textbooks? Are we? We're not, are we? They, seven years, yeah, they, they kind of, why? Why aren't, we using, why aren't we using the high school textbook that I used? The science, the biology, and the chemistry, and the fit. Why aren't we using those old textbooks? Because the science gets old doesn't it? And, and there's new discoveries and there's new theories that better explain what we are observing. And, and so you got to replace the old textbooks with the new textbooks. Let me ask you a question. The Bible's 2,000 years old. Why, why are we still using it? I'll tell you why. I'll give you one piece of nugget here. The Bible doesn't have any bad science in it. That's one reason it's not outdated. That's one reason we haven't thrown it away. Because it doesn't have bad science in it. Just, just a couple thoughts. I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too much. But, you know, like, if, if the Bible was written by humans that are just making up these stories about God, you know what the Bible would be full of? It'd be full of scientific thought from that day. So this is what you would read in the Old Testament. You would read in the Old Testament, well, the earth is flat. But you know what the Bible says in the Old Testament in the Psalms about the earth? That it's a sphere and that God is above it? thousands of years before they discovered that the earth was was round that the earth was a sphere the bible's already talking about it the ancient thought was that the earth was was a was flat and it was held up by like an elephant or an alligator or a man atlas does that look like atlas yeah you remember that you know what the bible says in isaiah that the the, the earth is suspended on nothing by god Thousands and thousands of years before that was ever discovered, the Bible's already talking about it. The Bible is just as relevant today as it's ever been before. There was this, this famous French philosopher, his name was Voltaire, maybe you've heard of this guy before, and he was, he was really well read on, the, on the, the most up-to-date ways of thinking, the most up-to-date psychology, the most up-to-date scientific discoveries, and he wrote this track, and in this track he has this quote, a hundred years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. That's what he wrote. And you know, none of you knew that, ver that, that uh, quote, did you? We'd all forgotten about it. Why? Because we're still using the Bible today. It, it's just as relevant today as it's ever been before. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Temporary stuff, it wilts. It goes away. That's why you aren't reading last week's newspaper today, right? You're not reading last Sunday's newspaper. That's old news. You threw that one away. That's why I can't sell my textbooks from college. I tried to. I got online, and I paid like $80 for each one of these textbooks. You know how much they want to give me now? Ten cents, because all that information is old. It's old. All, you, if you have an iPhone 3, I don't know what you can do with an iPhone 3. 
I don't know. You might be able to throw it at somebody, paperweight, hammer something with it. I don't know. You can't use it as a phone. It's too outdated. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Look at Jesus' words here in Matthew 24, 35. I love this verse. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said, you got a, Jew, a Jewish religious system. He, he'd say this to all the religious leaders in the first century. He'd say, you got this system, but I'm, I'm about to replace that system. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass away. This temple you see, you love this temple. It's going to pass away. The Roman Empire is going to pass away. No, the Roman Empire is not. It's, it's indestructible. Nobody can touch the Rome. It's going to pass away. But my words will never pass away. Here we are 2,000 years later, and who are we still talking about? Billions of people on the planet every day, they open up the Bible and they read the words of Jesus. I think that says something, don't you? The Bible is trustworthy, and it's true. It has stood the test of time. Here's the last way you can know the Bible to be true, and you can argue with all the other stuff. You're never going to be able to argue with me on this one. I know the Bible is true because experience tells me so. Listen to me. My whole life, I had somebody whispering in my ear, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And, and there were times I would read it, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I would read it. One day, one day I believed it. Listen to me. I read it and I believed it. And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adopt this as truth in my life. It changed me. It changed me. And then I read other verses like John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus says, okay? These powerful words. And, and you know what? That matched up with my life because every time I did what Jeff wanted to do, it led me to a bad place. Some of you can relate to that. The Bible is true. It's trustworthy. And, and, and this is the other part of what Jesus said in John 10, 10. It changed me. It changed me. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And so I started walking in that. I started believing that to be true in my life. And this is what I found. Every step I stepped with Jesus was a step into a better life. More and more and more. God proved himself. He proved his promises to be true. And some of you, listen, you're hearing me say that and you're just like, yeah, right. But you can't argue with this. Billions of people on the planet would tell you the same exact thing. But here's the problem. You will never know it to be true until you see it for yourself. You would never know there were 35 or 40,000 people in this town yesterday unless you saw it for yourself, right? You never know how good my mama's cooking is until you taste it for yourself. You see what I'm saying? Look at what Jesus said here in, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Here's my encouragement for you today. This is the thing I want you to take home with you. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's unpack that just real quick. If you continue in my word, if you stick with my and, and this is what some of you are saying, but I don't believe the Bible. I'm not convinced of the Bible, and this is what I would say to you. You're never going to have all of your questions answered. There's always going to be some unanswered questions, and that's why it's called faith. 
we got we got to take that one step where he's like i'm not totally sure but i'm going to walk in it anyway if you continue then then you shall know the truth you're not going to know it true until you start to walk in it you're not going to see it all you're not going to understand it all you're not going to believe it all until you take that step of faith and say jesus i'm going to trust you enough to walk in this direction and then you will know it beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's true how will you know it because that truth will set you free listen to me listen to me you take god's word and you apply it to your life and it will change you it will change you it will transform you where there was doubt before you'll be filled with faith where there was despair before you'll be filled with peace where there was a sadness a depression an anxiety before you'll be filled with joy and the only explanation is that god saved you that he transformed you that he renewed you through the power of his living trustworthy and true word and then you will know then you will know and you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to say i know it i know it i know it because because experience tells me so but you're only going to know it if you come and see for yourself if you taste how good the lord can be for yourself that's the way you're going to really know it. So how do I do that? I'm going to try and make this really practical. If you're not a daily Bible person, this is what I would encourage you to do. Every day, this is so easy, so easy. Every day, plan 10 minutes with God. We're talking about you having a cup of coffee or a Diet Coke with God every day. Just plan 10 minutes in your day with God. And you pray a really simple prayer at the beginning of that time with God. God, Help me to follow you more closely today. Help me to know you better today. And you pray, and then you open up the Bible. If you've never read the Bible before, I would encourage you to start in the book of John. It's, it's so straightforward. It's easy to read. If you've never read the Bible before, I would encourage you to use the Message Translation or the New Living Translation. That's a great place to start. Everybody will understand it, I promise you. And you give God 30 days. You say, God, I'm going to commit to this for 30 days. Every day I'm going to pray, I'm going to open the Bible, I'm going to read one chapter. We're talking about 10 minutes or less with God. And this is what I can promise you, it'll change you. It'll change you. It'll change you. Because God's word is trustworthy and it's true. And I hope that you'll walk in that truth. Pray with me. Father, we, we are coming to this time where... We want to recommit ourselves to you, Lord. We, we want to renew our confidence in who you are and what you've said. And, and Lord, I pray in this moment that you'll reassure us, Lord, that the Bible can be trusted. Because there's all sorts of attacks against the Bible right now from our world, uh, from all sorts of different angers, angles, Lord. And there's all sorts of different people that are very hostile towards your good word. Lord, your word is good, and it's taking us to a good place. So right now, Lord, if there's a person in this room and their faith is weak, Right now, I pray that in this moment, you'll reassure them and you'll remind them to stick with it, to not give up the faith, but to continue to follow you with all their heart. And I know when they do that, Lord, you're going to bless them. You're going to bless them in ways that they can see, in ways that they can feel, in ways that are undeniable so that they can look back and say, I know that God's word is trustworthy and true. Lord, if there's any person in this room that's never received you as their Lord and Savior, they've never surrendered their life to you, Lord, I pray that you'll fill them with confidence, Lord, in that decision, and that they'll step out from their pew, they'll walk down the aisle, and they'll meet me here. 
to commit everything to you, Lord, and I know, I know that it will change their whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'm so glad you were here today. I pray you were encouraged and inspired and just filled with all sorts of just confidence that the Lord's got your back and he's got a great plan for you and he's going to empower you to walk in that plan if you have the faith to walk there. If you have the faith to walk there. So as you leave from here, go loving and following Jesus to the best of your ability. And when you do that, he will bless you. Thanks for being here. Love you guys.